from across the globe, from the centre of aerospace, and now to you. Thank you for downloading the Aero Society podcast from the Royal Aeronautical Society. Well, thank you. Before we move into the, uh, the slideshow, as it were, uh, I would have been asked to give a sort of uh, a very brief history of uh, Tupolev and uh, uh, what he was involved in. And uh, Andrei Nikolaevich Tupolev was born in October 1888 and uh, he uh, joined Mr. Zukovsky in the uh, development of um, aircraft and in particular uh, he built one of the first um, war tunnels in uh, 1910 so he would have been what, 22 at that stage and uh, so uh, he uh, started at a, a fairly young age, and uh, in due course, in the um, 1920s, um, he started uh, thinking about you know, the, the designing of, uh, of aircraft, and in particular, he was uh, um, very interested in the use of metal in aircraft in the early 1920s that was most unusual because most aircraft were uh, built almost entirely of wood I'm wearing a hearing aid and I can hardly hear you yes if you could speak up a little please I'm having Is that any better? Yes. yes. Okay. We, <coughs> we can uh, hopefully adjust the volume as required with uh, my uh, colleague under the table. <laughs> uh, so, uh, interestingly, what Tupelo uh, did with um, developing uh, for um, building aeroplanes is that he started off with um, motorboats and um, jet skis and uh, so that um, he could uh, as it were, test the, the limits of the uh, of the uh, metal work that he was intending to use for aeroplanes when he eventually got round again in the early 1920s the the first ANT-1 was uh, sort of dual construction partly metal and partly uh, it was um, um, woodwork so uh, it was a sort of halfway house but when he got to the ANT-2 which um, was built in 1923-24 was his first flight and that was um, 
the first aircraft uh, in Russia built entirely of metal. And uh, so he was very much a pioneer as far as that is concerned. And um, if anybody uh, likes to travel to Moscow and to the museum at Monino, uh, the uh, ANT tour is uh, still in existence and is uh, displayed there. Um, there were very few of them made, but there's at least one survivor, which is, uh, which is quite interesting. Uh, Tibnev was another not uh, prolific. In uh, 1925, he, he built the ANT-3, and then the TB-1 bomber, which was the ANT-4, which was a, a twin-engined all-metal uh, bomber. But he also built the, uh, the ANT-5, which was a fighter, the ANT-6, the TB-3, which was a four-engine bomber, and the ANT-7, which was a multi-role reconnaissance aircraft. And uh, he then um, branched off into uh, flying boats with the ANT-8, which was uh, also known as the MD-02. And uh, that was a long-range reconnaissance flying boat. Uh, the ANT-9 was uh, a passenger airliner, and the ANT-10 or I-7 was an utility aircraft. So uh, uh, he was uh, continuing to branch out into different fields. And <coughs> the ANT-23, um, a twin-boom fighter, and the ANT-25 um, obtained a, a certain amount of international fame because it flew non-stop from Moscow to the USA, which was uh, 5,673 miles, apparently. And uh, that was uh, an unofficial record for some, some time. And the ANT-7 was... Um, uh, a long-range reconnaissance flying boat, and uh, the 29 was a twin-engine fighter. And uh, when we got to the ANT-35, that was a, a passenger aircraft, and uh, then the ANT-40 um, was a, uh, a bomber in nineteen thirty-five. We did uh, branch out into one or two quite interesting um, aircraft that uh, um, were in included a sort of six-engine or eight-engine bomber that was then re-engined with six engines. And uh, uh, so that was a very large aircraft for its time. And... Uh, um, in the early 1930s, um, he continued to, to branch out into various um, aircraft. And uh, in 1937, 
you've all found of uh, Stalin, who was paranoid about anybody who had any success in anything, as far as I can see. And uh, so he was promptly incarcerated, and shortly afterwards his wife was also incarcerated at a different prison. And uh, so their children had to be looked after by family friends. So um, uh, that was uh, a rather unfortunate development as far as Mr. Kovalev was concerned. Uh, but uh, it was also rather unfortunate as far as um, the Russian military capability was concerned because uh, Stalin found that by um, incarcerating um, the most important of his uh, uh, aircraft designers, those that were left weren't very good at it. And um, so uh, he set up a, a design bureau within the prison and uh, Tupolev agreed to uh, design aircraft uh, in these rather peculiar circumstances on the grounds that his wife was uh, um, uh, released and uh, able to look after the children. So it's <laughs> an interesting trade-off, to say the least. Um, but uh, <coughs> when the Russians call the Great Patriotic War started, uh, which was, uh, of course, as far as we're concerned, the middle of the Second World War. And uh, <coughs> that was on the 22nd of June, 1941. And lo and behold, by the 9th of July, they decided that uh, Tupolev was too important to leave in prison, and uh, he was uh, made uh, sort of chief designer of uh, the uh, Bureau. And uh, so whereas the... Um, the earlier aircraft had an AOT designation. He changed to the Triple F TU. The TU2 was a, a twin-engined uh, bomber and uh, a very successful one. So um, uh, he uh, he did uh, um, develop a, a number of uh, further aircraft, and he was also responsible for. The TU-4. The TU-4 was very interesting because actually it was a Boeing B-29 that was uh, um, de <coughs> demolished and um, every part was re-manufactured to Russian uh, capability and uh, <coughs> um, to the extent that uh, instead of using uh, sort of um, decimal uh, calibration. They actually went for imperial cali calibration because it was an American aircraft. And um, uh, so they, uh, they built a, a complete a replica of the, the B-29 that went into, uh, into service in, in Russia. Uh, the reason they were able to do this, of course, was that uh, the B-29 was... Uh, um, bombing Japan, and uh, if they got sort of shot up, uh, as was one of the, the, the risks, obviously, um, they came over uh, and landed on Soviet um, soil because uh, obviously Russia and the US were 
spent fighting the Germans and the Japs. And uh, so um, uh, they had several semi-crashed B-29s that they could uh, cannibalize in order to um, make the, the, the new uh, aircraft. And uh, <coughs> it, of course, um, Tupolev, of course, continued and uh, eventually died in, in December 1972. And his son um, is also involved as uh, a, um, a designer and um, uh, was largely responsible for the uh, supersonic aircraft, the TU-144. So, um, there's a, a, a brief uh, history, as it were, of Tupolev uh, as far as the, his uh, design capabilities are concerned. I think we can now go on to the... If I can get it to work... Technical hitch. Work a slot. One of the things he did with the B-29, which was quite interesting, was um, uh, he converted it into um, a, uh, an airliner and uh, this was uh, something that was quite a feature of uh, Russian technology over the years if, if you build a bomber then you can build a, a, um, a an airliner uh, around the, uh, the the same design and uh, the uh, uh, TU-12 Seventy was his other designation, um, was basically a, a development of the uh, Russian copy of the B-29. But uh, what we are concentrating on this evening is the, um, the civil aircraft um, in the early uh, post-war period and uh, one of the designs that uh, was um, uh, <coughs> sort of developed to a, a reasonable stage but wasn't actually built was the Tupolev TU-102 and that was a, a civil development of the TU-101 um, which again uh, was not um, actually completed and um, so it was um, uh, a, uh, uh, one of the first post-war design, basically. But the first one that uh, actually made it into production was the Tupelo 104, and um, that was um, uh, quite a, uh, a triumph for Russian engineering. And again, it was based on um, the TU-16 bomber and uh, um, the 
testing to the fuselage to make sure the same thing didn't happen to it. And um, <coughs> so the TU-104 um, was actually um, a, a very effective airliner and uh, was uh, in service for quite a long time. And uh, these two photos are of the, um, the earlier version. And, um, uh, um, with the uh, the L series of um, of, of numbers, the T one hundred four was developed also into the one hundred four B, and uh, that was uh, uh, just a straightforward development of the T one hundred four A. But um, there was uh, a further development, which was the TU-110, which was a four-engine version of the twin-engined uh, TU-104. And uh, <coughs> the Russians did tend to have very large and powerful engines, but they weren't terribly fuel-efficient. And uh, <coughs> therefore, the TU-110 was uh, hopefully uh, going to the sort of the European version, the American version of having uh, smaller engines, but more of them. So uh, the four-engine version and was uh, was built, but uh, I think only three of them were actually finished. But um, one of them was. Um, actually converted back into a military aircraft um, but uh, uh, as a, a sort of troop carrier and uh, so you, they sort of reduced the number of windows and um, uh, put the TU-16 uh, gun on the tail uh, so that um, uh, this was the, the military cargo version of um, the, the TU-104, which was, um, you know, it's quite an interesting uh, development. And uh, it uh, certainly wasn't um, unusual as far as the, um, as far as the uh, Russians were concerned, because with the, um, the four-engined uh, bomber, the TU-20, they again uh, took that and uh, lowered the, the wings, increased the volume of the fuselage, and converted it into a 200-seater um, airliner. And uh, the TU-114 um, was um, actually in service for, for quite a long time and uh, was, um, uh, or seemed to be, uh, 
quite uh, uh, quite useful, but uh, <coughs> it uh, was also interesting for um, being reverse engineered, if you like, back into a military aircraft with the TU-126, because the TU-126 was basically a TU-114, the, the civil airliner, uh, <coughs> with the um, innards stripped out and the um, early warning air, air radome was um, installed above the fuselage. But it was the um, it was the airliner fuselage that was used, and you'll see the um, the low wing um, structure was um, uh, applied for for this. So the, uh, again, with Russia, the um, the adjustment between the civil and military was uh, uh, <coughs> very flexible, and. Uh, so it was, um, as we'll see, not unusual for um, uh, aircraft to be um, developed into civil aircraft from military projects. But uh, the 126 was unusual in converting it back into a military service aircraft uh, from, the, uh, from the airliner, which in turn was developed from the, um, from the bomber version. But also of considerable interest is the TU-116, um, which was very much um, uh, the design of the bomber version. You'll notice it's a mid-wing um, aircraft with the, a, the, the slim fuselage of the, uh, of the bomber. And uh, the TU-116, they didn't build very many of them. But um, it was, uh, <coughs> I think there were only three of them and, uh, that were built and they were used uh, for uh, <coughs> uh, VIP uh, transports of the, for the, um, the Russian political hierarchy. And uh, so you had a, I think it was only about a 20-seater, but a very long range. And... Um, <coughs> So it was, um, let's say, I think only three of them were actually built, but it was uh, an interesting development, to say the least. <coughs> the TU-118 was, uh, uh, again, one of the uh, sort of civil developments of the... Um, of the um, TU-104 and uh, it was uh, it was only a project it wasn't actually uh, built and flown but uh, it was interesting to see um, the way the uh, designs were developing The next proper civil airliner was the TU-124, which was um, a, sm a smaller version, if you like, of the 
TU-104 and uh, for um, short and medium range. And uh, <coughs> um, that was, uh, was quite successful and built in reasonably large numbers. There was uh, a development of the 124 with a T-tail, and uh, um, that was, was not actually built, but um, you will see that the, the engines and the tail have, uh, have been uh, replaced. And uh, so it was, uh, it was a project, but uh, it wasn't actually, um, actually built. Another one that uh, <coughs> wasn't actually completed was the, the TU-130, which was um, intended to be a, a sort of a multi-role um, aircraft, of, um, and he eventually lost out to the um, Antonov AN-24 and 26 series. So um, uh, again, this was just one of the designs that they they built, but uh, it wasn't one that was um, uh, completed in flame. The T136 um, came in a, a number of versions, and uh, this one was a, a dual fuel, so that um, <coughs> instead of just being uh, flying with the, the engines sort of using kerosene as usual. Um, it was um, using uh, uh, liquid gas in the uh, sort of cylinders on the top of the fuselage, um, which wasn't um, very aesthetic to say the least, but um, it was uh, thought at the time to have some advantages. But uh, and it's not. Uh, uh, anything that really caught on, and, um, and so it uh, it, it, <coughs> it remained a um, a project. The Russians have um, a very annoying habit for people like me, where they um, tend to use the same designation again for totally different aircraft. And uh, the TU-136, this version, um, bore little relationship to the previous one, in fact none at all. And uh, uh, it was a, a rather strange structure um, with the uh, almost a dual wing. And... Uh, so you had a, a forward wing um, bearing the, the, the two engines. Then you had the, the wing, rather the main wing, was very far back on the fuselage. And then you had the T-tail. So, so you had sort of three um, structures providing the, um, the lift. And... Uh, not surprisingly, this um, uh, this remained a uh, uh, a design, and uh, it didn't go any further. Uh, 
but uh, a similar sort of uh, idea was used on the C-prop, which was a dual purpose, a dual fuel aircraft, and uh, <coughs> rather than having the uh, the, uh, the liquid gas fuel on um, you know, over the top of the fuselage. It was in these booms that were um, stretched right to the front of the aircraft and supported by the little winglet at the front. And uh, then, interestingly, instead of having a swept back wing, you had a swept forward wing to, uh, <coughs> um, to get the central gravity correct. And uh, so uh, it, uh, uh, again, re remained a project. Um, and uh, uh, not surprisingly, in my view, hmm, But um, we then come on to the TU-134, and those of you um, with an interest in Russian aircraft will appreciate that this doesn't look like the TU-134 that most of you are conversant with, because um, it was a, um, <coughs> a supersonic transport at least the, one of the early designs for supersonic transport. And uh, uh, <coughs> it was, again, um, a, a project that, um, that was, not, um, was not subsequently built. So, not wanting to waste anything, the Russians built another aircraft, which they also called the TU-134, <laughs> just to confuse <laughs> And uh, <coughs> this was more normal um, airliner, and uh, <coughs> not that dissimilar from the uh, the earlier TU one two four and one o four, except that the the engines had been moved to the back with a T tail, and, uh, and this. Uh, this worked very well, and there are several TU-134 still uh, <coughs> in, uh, in service. And uh, it was a, a very successful uh, civil airliner as far as the, um, uh, the Russians and, the <coughs> uh, and their allies were concerned. So... There were various variants of the 134 with uh, different engines and um, uh, again the uh, Russian habit of converting military aircraft into civil and civil aircraft into military um, was uh, adopted again and uh, um, the bottom one on the um, on the slide um, is, is actually a, um, uh, an aircrew trainer and uh, uh, carries uh, 
uh, armament for uh, training purposes. So they, <coughs> they moved from um, civil to military again. Um, it's uh, it, it's the, the Russian habit. We then come on to the Russian supersonic transport uh, and uh, <coughs> this had a, a number of, uh, uh, of design studies before they actually built the, uh, the aircraft itself and this is one of the early ones <coughs> but uh, using the TU-144 designation which applied to uh, all the supersonic aircraft uh, civil supersonic aircraft and uh, other uh, designs uh, under the TU-144 designation um, included uh, twin tails and various engine layouts and, and wing format so that when they came on with the TU-144 that actually flew, this uh, was uh, very much along the lines of, um, <coughs> of the Anglo-French supersonic um, aircraft, but uh, uh, with the Ogival uh, wing plan form. And uh, <coughs> um, it was uh, not a copy because it actually flew before um, the uh, Concorde. And uh, uh, not by a great deal, but uh, by a few months. <coughs> However, it was not entirely successful with the Ogival wing, which was difficult to build. And uh, the, uh, the engine layout, as you will see there, you've got uh, four very powerful engines. <coughs> they uh, unfortunately overheated the rear fuselage. Uh, not altogether um, surprising when, when you look at the photo like that. Um, and um, uh, only one aircraft uh, was actually was actually built. So they, uh, in typical Russian fashion, redesigned the thing. And uh, you'll notice that instead of having the Ogival wing, the TU-144 that actually went into production um, did have um, a, a double delta wing plan form. And uh, you'll see that the engines had been uh, moved apart to stop setting fire to the rear fuselage. And uh, the TU-144 was, um, was quite successful and was, was very fast, um, but uh, <coughs> it never really took off uh, on the sort of the international field because um, um, it needed 
really to use the afterburners to fly supersonically. And, um, and that meant that the range wasn't as good as, as it should be. And uh, so it was, um, it was an interesting aircraft design. It was um, it was a limited success, if you like, but it was certainly an impressive-looking aircraft, and uh, it's <coughs> worth uh, just uh, admiring what it looks like. And uh, <coughs> as you'll see, when they uh, they gave up the Ogival wing and went for a double delta. They needed to have the winglets right at the front, uh, which were retractable. And uh, so it was. Uh, uh, it was uh, designed by necessity, if you like, in order to. Uh, get the thing to, to move but uh, although it, it flew supersonically alright it, uh, it hadn't got the range to be um, really useful commercially they did try re-engining it and uh, 144D uh, was the, um, the re-engined version and um, <coughs> it was it was an improvement on the, uh, the basic version, but again, it, was, um, it never went into large-scale production or anything like that. But there is an interesting twist to the TU-144, and that is the TU-144LL, which was um, uh, borrowed by the United States of America um, because they didn't have a supersonic transport aircraft. And um, they um, um, used it for several years for development purposes and then handed it back to the Russians. So um, it was, uh, I think they, they re-engined it as well. And, uh, but the, the airframe was, uh, was more or less the standard TU-144. Um, and uh, that was, it was fairly recent. And I, th I think the, the Americans had it for two or three years and, uh, and hopefully learned a lot from it. The, the next um, large-scale uh, civil aircraft was the Tupolev 154. And uh, this came in a number of, um, of variants. And uh, it was a successful and still is um, uh, in service uh, um, as one of the, uh, the Russian airliners. <coughs> For international travel, the Russians have uh, uh, largely moved over to um, uh, importing uh, Western aircraft, um, which would have Tupolev turning in his grave, I expect. And uh, 
but uh, the, uh, the 154 was, um, was far from being a disaster. And it was, uh, it's quite a good looking aircraft, really. And uh, uh, by Russian standards, it's relatively comfortable. And uh, again, as is usual when, with Russians, they developed um, the aircraft into, um, into various formats, including the 154M, and uh, uh, then into the 155, which was, uh, um, uh, again, a, a development aircraft, but um, not one that went into, into service. And uh, we then come to the 156, uh, which um, was uh, designed to uh, be as the 154 with um, a, a different fuel system to try and uh, extend the range. And uh, so they had these... Uh, uh, liquid gas uh, fuel tanks under the under the wings, um, which um, uh, didn't really Im improve the uh, the performance of the aircraft, other than by improving the range. So it, uh, it again, it was it was a one-off, and. Uh, we then come on to um, a number of the projected developments of the uh, of the Russian passenger jets, and uh, one of the smaller ones was the Tu-164, and uh, then we another wide-body um, uh, aircraft <coughs> was the uh, Tu-184. And uh, <coughs> so, the, again, the Chipolev uh, designers were trying to uh, keep up with um, developments in um, in the U.S. And um, the um, wide-bodied jet um, was um, becoming quite quite popular, and uh, so. The, that's what uh, um, the Russians were, were looking to do, uh, but uh, this was only um, a, uh, a project. So the next one that was actually built um, was the Tu-204, um, which has been pretty successful and is, um, is still in service. And... Um, so there are a number of variants of the TU-204, um, but basically um, it is uh, a fairly uh, conventional configuration um, for, a, um, uh, for a passenger jet aircraft of its period. And uh, <coughs> there were some projected developments of it including the uh, TU-204K, but uh, uh, 
the next one that was actually built was designated as the TU214. And uh, uh, again, it, uh, it was okay, but it was never really taken off in terms of uh, quantity of, uh, of aircraft being built. The, the 204 uh, was developed into variants, and uh, the Russians again have a habit of um, giving uh, their aircraft, <laughs> the same aircraft, different um, um, different names, if you like, and uh, so the TU-204-300 was also known as the TU-234. And uh, this was uh, one that was actually actually built, unlike the 304, which wasn't, and uh, was uh, an interesting configuration um, with um, pusher rear-engined um, jet uh, turbojet engines or, or turboprop engines, and uh, <coughs> winglets, which of course were then coming into fashion, but uh, this was um, <coughs> very much uh, based on the TU-204 fuselage, but um, it didn't uh, have any measurable advantages and was, um, uh, was not um, developed further. Again, the 304 designation was also used for a totally different aircraft um, <coughs> with a, a, a wide-bodied jet. And uh, <coughs> this uh, rather unlikely-looking aircraft was, in fact, purely a project. Unlike the 324, which again was actually built and uh, it's a sort of um, a smaller version of the, um, the TU-204. And uh, <coughs> that flew, but it's never been built in, in any, any large numbers. The <coughs> there is a, uh, a protected development of it, which was the TU-330. Um, which um, was was not was not completed, and the TU three three four, which um, uh, went through sort of various versions, and uh, this original project had the the engines under the wing, whereas uh, the one that was actually built had the engines at the rear. But um, the, uh, the Russians were uh, concentrating not just on the, uh, the airframe. They were looking at uh, the actual cockpit. And this is the TU-334 cockpit, which is much more like the, um, uh, the modern um, Western jet aircraft or jet... Um, uh, passenger jet aircraft, and uh, 
instead of the old uh, uh, system of lots of little dials and, uh, and things like that, you've got the, uh, the sort of screens that you expect to see in um, uh, a, a modern Western jet aircraft. Slightly interesting is the TU-334, <coughs> which was effectively the TU-22M3, and um, they turned it into a business passenger aircraft, or at least that was the idea, so that they could uh, fly people around uh, uh, Russia supersonically, and um, uh, <coughs> of course there's such a vast area of um, the uh, um, of, of country in, in, in Russia that was quite useful and um, we didn't worry too much about the people on the ground when the uh, flying supersonically because they were fairly sparsely populated in a lot of the areas where it would be flying so uh, it was uh, <coughs> it was certainly uh, considered but uh, um, I don't think it was uh, uh, ever built in any quantity. The TU-336 was uh, uh, just a, <coughs> a development of the TU-334, and as you'll see, they've tried to... This is a, 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 a bifuel version instead of having loose tanks at the top, they were um, they extended the, the fuselage to um, <coughs> to house the the, uh, the the fuel tanks. The, the Russians um, also um, looked at the developing the supersonic aircraft into the TU-244. Uh, but again, this never uh, effectively got got off the ground, as it were. And uh, there were a number of different um, versions that were under consideration. But um, again, uh, nothing materialised. A further project was the four one four, which was. Uh, a passenger jet version, but uh, again, it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't completed or put into into service. The TU-404 is uh, quite an interesting looking design with uh, six turboprop uh, engines at the back. And uh, uh, quite how that would uh, ever have um, worked in um, a real-life uh, airport is uh, <coughs> rather unlikely. Um, they would have to build a whole new um, terminal to uh, to take the, uh, something that uh, of that size and shape. Uh, a, a supersonic 
transport is something that um, the, the Russians have been playing with the same way as, of course, as we did with Concorde, but um, uh, they um, managed it with even less practical success, and the 444 was um, going to be a, a business jet, but was, uh, was never actually built. The TU-2000 was uh, um, a fairly um, <coughs> small uh, passenger aircraft, which um, again remained a, a, a project, as did the, um, the TU-400, again a fairly standard design, but uh, not um, and not put into into service. One that was actually built uh, <coughs> was the. In fact, I'm not sure what it was actually, but um, the TU44 was a, a fairly small uh, sort of, uh, passenger utility aircraft, and uh, <coughs> it was. Uh, I don't think, actually, it was completed. That looks like an artist's impression, not a photograph. The TU-34, again, was a, a design that, uh, that wasn't built. And uh, <coughs> it, uh, it shows the, um, the Russian designers were looking at all sorts of combinations to uh, uh, see what was uh, uh, likely to be uh, worthwhile to build, but um, they didn't really have any great breakthroughs that uh, uh, were world leading. The TU24 was uh, very much out of the normal tupelo line because uh, <coughs> it was. Uh, effectively a utility aircraft for four or six people not uh, uh, and it was likely to have been used as um, a sort of an agricultural aircraft had it ever gone into production uh, as you can see here it was uh, built but only as a mock-up and uh, it was as far as I'm aware never completed and flown so uh, it, uh, it's interesting to know how the, um, how the Bureau was actually thinking of uh, you know, remaining in business by producing what was required, but uh, uh, this one was uh, a blind alley and never got anywhere. And that brings me to the end of my list of... Uh, um, Russian projects and of course the aircraft that they really built and uh, so I'm happy to try and answer any questions I probably won't know the answers yes
from across the globe. From the center of aerospace. And now to you. Thank you for downloading. Visit www.aerosociety.com to download more from this series and other multimedia content from the Royal Aeronautical Society. If you enjoyed this content, please consider showing your support for the Society. Share a link to this presentation by email or on your favorite social networks. If you have an interest in aerospace, consider the professional and personal benefits of membership. Visit www.aerosociety.com. This content is provided subject to our website and digital media terms of use. Please visit www.aerosociety.com for more information.